Hello, everyone. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 of Migrations. I'm your host, Nisha Modi. So today's episode is all about a C word, but not the one that we've been hearing so, so much about, at least not directly. But I will touch on it toward the end of the episode. What I will say for now is to please, please take this pandemic seriously. Social distance, quarantine, and remember that this is not only about you. We are global citizens, and if we only think individually, we will not be able to fight this together. Please take care of yourself, have Netflix parties, virtual cocktail hours, and if you can, please help your neighbor. What we will talk about on today's episode is another C word, the census. You may or may not know that the census is out. They've been mailed, and you can respond to them on paper or online or on the phone. I just got mine last week. So when I realized that this was coming out, I got curious about the different racial categorizations on the census, especially for Asians. How is this very, very large population categorized by America? I decided to do a little research, and I found out a lot of interesting things, which I'm going to share with you today. But first, I want to talk about how I put this show together. After I record each episode, I send it to an editor. I coordinate with them about how I want the episode to sound, what to cut out, what to keep, what sounds weird, and so on. We go back and forth, they do their amazing work, mix in some music, adjust and refine the sound, and then I re-listen to the episode and give my feedback. And then we finally wrap up. This takes a lot of time. It can be four to six hours of work per episode, especially for the interviews. This would probably take longer for me to do because I don't have this expertise. And I don't really have the time to do this on my own, which is why I'm using the help of professionals to help me with the back end of this podcast. And I've made it a point to center Asians in the creation of this podcast. So all of my talent, including the art, sound, and editing are all Asian voices. Their labor is so, so, so appreciated. This podcast is a labor of love from so many talented individuals, and I want to ask for your support for this. This way, I can keep doing it. I know these are trying times, especially now. But if you can, please visit my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash migrations to support migrations in any way you can. This can be a monthly donation or even a one-time donation. Anything helps. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And now, on to the census. The first U.S. census came out in 1790, and since then it has been given every 10 years. Besides race and ethnicity, which is what I'm going to talk about today, the census looks at population in terms of quantity, age, and sex, and the type of home you live. It does not ask for citizenship status, which it almost did and had to be fought for in 2018. According to the census website, quote, information on race is required for many federal programs and is critical in making policy decisions, particularly for civil rights. States use these data to meet legislative redistricting principles. Race data are also used to promote equal employment opportunities and to assess racial disparities in health and environmental risks. So basically, the census helps decide which demographics need what resources, which is why it's super important. But it's why it has also been very politicized, and history shows that. Another interesting thing to note is that the United States Census Bureau is under the Office of Management and Budget, which from here on out I will call the OMB. I found this fact particularly interesting and honestly a little disturbing. 
But the fact is that we live in capitalism, and our government regulates it. So yes, they use this information for this purpose. On to race. I'm going to highlight some significant changes about the race-ethnicity categories as it relates to Asians for the purposes of this podcast. I won't be getting to everything, so feel free to check the links I include in the show notes to dive deeper if you want. Like I said, the first census came out in 1790, and in the first three censuses, in 1790, 1800, and 1810, the racial categories were in accordance with the first ratified constitution. So what this meant was that for these first three decades, the categories were, one, free white females and males, two, all other free persons, and three, slaves. That's it, these three categories. These categories did change over time, and it wasn't until 1870 that a distinctive category called Chinese was added to represent those that came from China. This was the first representation of Asians on the census. It first appeared on a California census in 1860, when there started to be concerns about their large immigration numbers. Chinese was then put on the 1870 national census, and in some form on every census since then. It was the first category that used a nation-based classification rather than a race-based one. It isn't a surprise that they were counted to eventually be counted out. The Chinese Exclusion Act in 1882 made Chinese immigration illegal. This act wasn't repealed until 1943. Soon after Chinese was added, Japanese was added as another way to conflate race and nationality. In What is Your Race? The Census and Our Flawed Efforts to Classify Americans by Kenneth Pruitt, he states that, quote, the racialization of nationality became a form of surveillance, a mechanism for imposing order and racial clarity on the proliferation of the ambiguous alien, unquote. And, of course, eventually a question arose about how to identify individuals that didn't identify within a given category. So, another category was added to the National Census in 1910. But it wasn't until the 2000 census that individuals could report more than one race. I'll say that again. It wasn't until the 2000 census that individuals could report more than one race. That was only 20 years ago. I found this very surprising and a little disturbing, but I'm also glad that this data can finally be more robust. Like I said, the United States Census Bureau reports up to the OMB, and it wasn't really until the 1990s that they actually started trying to think about what race and racial data actually meant. According to Shades of Citizenship, Race and the Census in Modern Politics by Dr. Melissa Nobles, quote, in the past, officials had little serious doubt about either the biological reality of race or the propriety of using census data to support and justify segregatory public policies. Nor did they hesitate to use the census to shape and advance race theory itself, unquote. There was an update to the OMB standards in 1997, which stated that there needed to be five minimum reporting categories for the race questions. This includes one, American Indian or Alaska Native, two, Asian, three, Black or African American, four, Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander, and five, white. While more nationalities and ethnicities are listed on the census, they still report up to their corresponding minimum reporting category. According to these 1997 standards, the Asian category is defined as, quote, a person having origins in any of the original peoples of the Far East, Southeast Asia, 
or the Indian subcontinent, including, for example, Cambodia, China, India, Japan, Korea, Malaysia, Pakistan, the Philippine Islands, Thailand, and Vietnam. So maybe these countries of origin make sense to you, or maybe they don't. As you know, on this podcast, I'm talking to creative and political Asians with migration stories. So for me, this includes countries in the Middle East that are not in Africa. While there are no official continental delineations, countries in the Middle East, such as Saudi Arabia, Iran, Oman, and others are not in Europe or Africa. So I and many others consider them to be in Asia. This is a huge reason that I even started this podcast, because Asia can be so big, yet we tend to consider just a couple of groups Asian. So given these five minimum reporting categories, where do people from the Middle East fit in? Well, they fit in the category white. Yes, the information that is used to determine how federal resources are allocated and how districts are drawn includes the group known as MENA, M-E-N-A, which stands for Middle East and North Africa. And this is under white. So today, if you've gotten your 2020 census in the mail and you log in online, you'll see that under the race white, it states white hyphen print, for example, German, Irish, English, Italian, Lebanese, Egyptian, etc. And if you look into it a little more, you'll read the category white includes all individuals who identify with one or more nationalities or ethnic groupings originating in Europe, the Middle East, or North Africa. These groups include, but are not limited to, German, Irish, English, Italian, Lebanese, Egyptian, Polish, French, Iranian, Slavic, Cajun, and Chaldean. So individuals from MENA are still considered white according to the census. This is still the case, even though there now exists a some other race category, which in 2010 was used instead of white by a significant number of individuals that identified as MENA, according to an article by Rhonda Kayali in the Journal of Ethnic and Migration Studies. The 2010 census found that there were 1,195,345 people, or 0.4% of the U.S. population, who reported Arab, Iranian, and Armenian ancestry alone or in combination with other ancestries, and they put this in the some other race box. She states how this case proves that a multicultural state can exercise its power through definitions that both divide and unite ethnic populations. Also, it's important to note that in the 2010 census, some Arab Americans felt confusion, alienation, even anger toward the undifferentiate white race category, while others fully accepted being classified as white. But because there was still a significant amount of MENA individuals who reported some other race, extensive research was conducted between the 2010 and 2020 census. And this research showed that, quote, the use of a distinct MENA category elicits higher quality data, unquote. Nonetheless, the category still remains under white. An individual can write in their race under white, which is a change from the 2010 census, or they can still self-report in the some other race category. However, there is not a distinct minimum reporting category for MENA individuals. Now, I'm going to take a step back here, and I'm going to talk about how citizenship, assimilation, and so much more plays into all of this. Until 1899, 
Arabic-speaking immigrants from the Syrian province of the Ottoman Empire were considered Asiatic and part of Turkey and Asia. This was problematic for a lot of reasons, one of which was that there was a growing anti-Asian sentiment during this time, leading to legislation stating that Asians could not become U.S. citizens. So Syrians did not want to be considered Asian and settled on being part of the white race, understandably, to reap the benefits of being a U.S. citizen. This essentially established a white race label for Syrians in the early 20th century. And the Syrians took pride in assimilating and being part of this American dream, while also trying their best to hold on to their culture. In the 1960s, a new wave of Middle Eastern immigrants of non-Syrian descent arrived. These individuals were from Jordan and Palestine, Egypt, Lebanon, and Iraq, and they were much less interested in assimilating and did not find value in their white status. They tended to hold stronger Arab identities because they emigrated due to anti-colonial struggles and wars for independence. At the same time, anti-Arab sentiment increased in the U.S. in the 70s due to pro-Israeli media coverage, the Iranian Revolution, rising oil prices, and the Iran hostage crisis. So finally, in the 1980s, the American Arab Institute, the AAI, began to strongly advocate for the creation of an ancestry question on the census. There was a lot of discussion between the Census Bureau and the AAI about the definition and national identities, as well as which countries in the Middle East were or were not considered Arab. Ultimately, this all led to the five minimum reporting categories determined in 1997 that I spoke about earlier, where the OMB ultimately concluded that an Arab or Middle Eastern ethnic category should not be added to the minimum data standards. The main reason given was that the definition of Arab or Middle Eastern ethnicity is quote-unquote problematic. You see, three approaches, linguistic, geographic, and religious, had been proposed to the committee. The linguistic approach emphasized Arabic as an all-encompassing linguistic identity. The geographic approach focused on the MENA regional identity, and the religious approach assumed Christian, Muslim, Jewish divisions in the region. These approaches roughly reflected the disagreements between different Arab American institutions. But there were also logistical and cost concerns. The OMB felt more space would be needed on the questionnaire, and the cost would increase the terms of additional labor and analysis. They figured that this information could just be gleaned at the state and local level. But Helen Hatab Saban from the AAI submitted a statement to the Senate Committee on Governmental Affairs pushing for an ancestry question as the best way to collect information, though not all Arab Americans were on board. Some Assyrians, Maronites, and Chaldeans actively contested their inclusion in the Arab ancestry group and mounted a campaign to encourage people of Lebanese descent not to write in Lebanese to prevent their answers from being aggregated into data on Arab Americans for the 2000 census. Also, beginning in the 80s, Various groups representing Arab Americans disagreed as to whether they should pursue minority status. AAI was more focused on ethnic classification, where groups like the ADC, the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, and the Arab Community Center for Economic and Social Services, ACCESS, wanted this status to provide more equity to small business owners. There are a lot of details about this, so if you can, please check out the article that I've linked in the show notes. If you're able, eventually after this quarantine is over, get to your local library to access it. It is really, really interesting. So in 1993, 
Helen Simhan from the AAI, asked for ethnic non-racial classification for persons from the Middle East and to keep the white racial designation. She asked for a subrace under white instead. While this would not challenge broader racial categories, it would still provide Arab Americans visibility as a distinct racial group. The AAI advocated for persons from the Middle East as the preferred ethnic category, while an individual would be able to write Arab or any other ethnic or national group affiliation for which they identified. And in the mid-90s, it was advocated for the Middle East to also be expanded to North Africa, since there were substantial annual increases in new North African immigrants, particularly from Morocco, after 2000. The term Arab itself holds so many connotations, including Islam, terrorism, and ultimately discrimination. So while MENA seems like a more inclusive term, there were a lot of groups that disagreed with it as an aggregate racial grouping. Kayali states that, quote, many Arabs did not consider them to be in the same ethnic category as other Middle Easterners and felt that the category was too broad losing the effectiveness of describing felt senses of self and community. Middle Eastern as a term also had no standard definition and is often used by U.S. foreign policy wonks to include many non-Arab countries such as Iran and Turkey and Israel, which has a sizable Arab population, in regional assessments. And again, from the census aside, they claimed that it would take up more physical space on the census form and therefore would add more labor to this, increasing the costs of the census. An ancestry question was included in the 2000 census in its longer form, but this longer form was only sent to 17% of Americans. While it has felt unsettling to me that MENA does not have their own distinct category, according to race counts, racial and ethnic data on the U.S. census and the implications for tracking inequality— Quote, some maintain that adding MENA on the census can be potentially dangerous, leading to increased surveillance and policing of this community, especially in the post-9-11 war on terror environment, unquote. And, quote, the Census Bureau sharing demographic data with the military to enforce the internment of Japanese Americans following Pearl Harbor serves as a glaring example. Basically, there were disagreements about race, ethnicity, and minority status that still do not seem to be resolved for the MENA category, and it still leads to the fact that individuals from the Middle East and North Africa are considered white on the census. I'm really glad that I looked into this more because it truly spoke to the complexities of this category and histories about people that I truly was not aware of. I also had no idea about the distinctions between being considered a minority status and census racial classifications. Next, I'm actually going to talk more about how the Asian category itself is divided up on the census. On the 2020 census form, the Asian category provides a checkbox for the following nationalities, which all roll up into the Asian race category. These are Chinese, Filipino, Asian Indian, Vietnamese, Korean, Japanese, and other Asian. So this means that Pakistanis, Sri Lankans, and Bangladeshis should be listed under other Asians along with Thais, Cambodians, Hmong, and Laotians. So this made me wonder how individuals would identify if they were not given any checkboxes and they were able to completely self-identify as they have to do with white in the current census. Also, I was pretty surprised to read something about the Asian Indian category in Melissa Noble's Shades of Citizenship. 
She discusses how the creation of the Federal Interagency Committee on Education in 1964 ultimately led to 30 federal agencies, including the OMB, becoming members. During this time, they created an ad hoc committee for racial and ethnic definitions, and they debated whether Asian Indians should be in the white category because they were supposedly Caucasians. And they were initially categorized as Caucasians and white in the trial directive, but were recategorized as Asian in the final version, likely due to the Asian Indian lobby. This really struck me because of what I noted at the end of episode two, where I learned from Strangers from a Different Shore by Ronald Takaki that Indians were included as Asians because they were willing to work for cheap labor, just like the Chinese and Japanese. Ultimately, this also put them in the group for the Asiatic Bard Zone, which banned immigration from certain Asian countries in the 1920s. Either way, they were being denied opportunities and status, and this just confirms how race is indeed created and can be modified depending upon intent. As Nobles explains, racial census categories are not self-evidently right or natural because race itself is not. And the way race has been categorized has always started with the position of the African-American in society. What were their rights? What were they allowed? And most often, not allowed. The relationship to whiteness is what the census ultimately measures. How are we distinct and how do we assimilate? And how does this affect human rights and equity? That those from the Middle East have this relationship to whiteness seems odd and confusing, given the terrorism hysteria often pointed toward the Middle East. But given everything I just talked about, I better understand how this has come to be. It worries me that this large group of individuals are classified as white on one plane, yet are othered when it comes to resources, sanctions, wars, and racism. At the same time, I think it's critically important that they are not racially profiled, given global Islamophobic sentiment. I'm also concerned about the other Asian category in Asian American. While Asian Indian is spelled out, other Asians asks you to spell it out. This seems conflicting and inconsistent. I'm sure I could probably talk about the history and decisions around naming and writing a survey instrument under the context of the United States federal government forever. What I talked about today is a very, very small slice of this history. But I hope it at least provides some things to think about in terms of how humans are measured and how this is extremely politicized. And this also brings me back to how race and ethnicity have an inherent otherness. I wonder about the racial category Chinese included in the 1870 census, and I think about how, just the other day, the coronavirus was named as the quote-unquote Chinese virus by President Trump. How is this otherness related? Why, a few weeks ago, when I was taking the bus, did an older white woman ask an East Asian woman, are you Chinese, the second she sat down? How does counting race and ethnicity help and harm us as human beings? It is clear that this data can be used either way, but in the end, equal opportunity always seems to be tied to the interests of the state instead of humanity. While I hope this changes, it is important for us to make these connections and learn these histories. So when you look at your census, think about this when you fill out that information. I'm not trying to make this more confusing, but I would be remiss to not ask you to reflect about how identity has historically been part of global divisions and empires. I threw out a lot of references during this episode, so check out the show notes if you'd like to learn more. And if you like what you heard today, please rate my show and give me a review. As always, I'd like to thank my creative talent that helped me on this episode. 
Thanks to Tiffany Wong for your help with the Migrations cover art. And thanks to Shin Kawasaki for the Migration song, Find Another Way. And thanks again to Akriti Kundu for editing this episode. Now we'll do some shoutouts to my $20 a month and above patrons. So thank you to my brother Shalin and Dalia Gahan for your generous support. Thanks to all my Patreon patrons. Remember, you can help support this podcast by going to www.patreon.com migrations. Thank you all.